0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of maximumfun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week's show we recorded live in London, England at the London Podcast Festival. We've got great comedy coming up on the show, great music, and interviews with the creator of Veep, Armando Iannucci, and the creator of the new HBO show, Divorce, Sharon Horgan. Let's get right into it. Bullseye, live from the 2016 London Podcast Festival. Let's go. My first interview is with a legendary comedy writer, Armando Iannucci started his career as a radio comedy producer at the BBC. He created shows like On the Hour and Knowing Me, Knowing You. From there, he moved to television, continuing to collaborate with Chris Morris and helping to make Steve Coogan's character, Alan Partridge, a household name in the UK. In 2005, he created a show called The Thick of It for the BBC, a show in which Peter Capaldi's character, Malcolm Tucker, elevated swearing to the highest form of art. Then he created the HBO show Veep. It's a loose American adaptation of The Thick of It. It stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus. At this point, he can basically build an addition to his house out of Emmys. Veep won another one for Outstanding Comedy Series this year. Here's a little bit of his British work. He hosted a show on Channel 4 in the U.K. called the Armando Iannucci Shows. Every episode had a theme. The theme of this one was imagination. And in this clip, Armando's talking about the fact that Uh, In his opinion, imagination is what makes us superior to animals.
0: That's why I come down to the zoo at least once a day to laugh at the animals, tosser, and taunt them with things that show how inadequate they are compared to us. Look at that. It's a pen that writes in ten different colours. You can't even write. I mastered this when I was three. Just look at these birds, obviously struggling with some quite straightforward books by Jermaine Greer and clearly not knowing what to do with a clarinet. You know, it's our imagination that distinguishes us from the animals, because it allows us to come up with amazingly complex things like Dundee or Shirley Bassey. The most complex thing an animal can do is chomp or get run over. Isn't that right? That's why if you put Shirley Bassey in front of some of us and in front of some animals, we would applaud her and give her singing contracts, whereas animals would just use her as somewhere to piss.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Armando Iannucci. Uh, uh.
0: Uh. <clears throat> and uh, thank you. That still holds true, I'd say. <laughs> still to this day, animals. I mean, they've now had fifteen years to to kind of catch up, and uh, they're idiots. They're absolute idiots. They just make noises at moving things. <laughs> uh, which I suppose we do as well, but, you know, we do other stuff.
1: Like. I I want to ask you a question about V because it just won its 7 trillionth Emmy Award. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it won it without you. Yeah. What is... How why? do I
0: feel about that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I guess,
0: basically, yeah. <laughs> I remember reading an interview that... Um, it was Aaron Sorkin rang Larry David, because they both left there. Aaron Sorkin left West Wing after the fourth season and Larry David left Seinfeld. And Larry David was asking him, you know, should I watch the new ones? And Aaron Sorkin said, no, because they'll either be just as good, in which case you'll be depressed or they'll be worse, in which case you'll be depressed. <laughs> or they'll be better, in which case you'll be depressed. And I feel good about it, actually. I really... It, you know, it, it was something... I always knew... You know, I didn't move out to America to make it, so I was sort of commuting, which was... start started off as hilarious and just ended up as ridiculous. Uh, I, I more or less made the, my final season well, well asleep with jet lag, so... I I knew I was only going to do a certain... And, and, you know, I I felt I had to come up with a system of making it that meant we could happily pass it on and and actually give it to people who could inject a new, you know, burst of energy into it. What I've enjoyed about it is actually I did watch them and really enjoyed watching them as a a viewer because you don't don't actually get that experience when you're making something. You don't... um, You never really know what it's like watching it for the first time. And what was good about watching... Veep season five was I genuinely didn't know what anyone was going to do or say. And, um, and that was fun. Plus, I didn't have to worry. <laughs> I, I knew I didn't have to look at a script or look at an edit, which was great.
1: I, it might be just like the American exceptionalist in me. Yeah. But uh, why didn't you move to the United States <laughs> when you started doing the show? <laughs> yeah. Like you made an, a totally American television show. Yeah with as little being in America as possible. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I, I like America. But uh, I, I, I also... Thank God! I also... <laughs> I didn't want to have to bring that report back. <laughs> I, also, uh, I also like it here, too. And I didn't... Re- I, you know, I'm, I'm 52. And at the time, I was, what, late 40s, I didn't feel the need to... If I was 20 years younger, I would have thought, great, this is a great experience. Let's go out there, let's see what happens. But... I, I kind of didn't feel the need. What, what I wanted to do was make that show, and I wanted to make it show, and I wanted to work with HBO. But I didn't feel the need to, you know, move to Hollywood and and see what happens because, uh, you know, I'm I'm quite happy with with what I'm doing. So and and you know, the kids were all at school, and it didn't feel right to uproot every, everyone. And also, I think you know, it's a very British thing to just do two series of something. And and then that's it. Isn't there a Simpsons episode where somebody saves up to pay for his a, a, a seventh episode of his favourite British show? <laughs> um, and, and when we were on like season four and our our like fortieth episode, it was just it was like a bizarre dream. You know, it didn't feel real that we we got these characters to do something 40 times um and and i think it was good for the show actually that it had a a fresh burst of you know writers and and fresh mindset i think the the mindset when you make something in the u.s correct me if i'm wrong i I think the idea was always that you, you you make a tv show and it becomes a hit and then you you work it to death and then retire i think that's the and that for me wasn't wasn't the vision, the dream that, that I wanted really. So I thought you know, four series is is longer than I've done of anything. So I sort of thought I did I did pretty good.
1: When really. you when you got back yeah. Did you already have a bunch of things that you wanted to do with your newfound,
0: well, interesting. not deep time? I, I, I got back, and um, I mean, when you're making the show, it's all consuming. So actually, no, you don't have anything during the time. But the moment I got, literally the moment I got, literally, literally the, the, the moment I got home and came in, and it was coming up to Christmas, and I got in the door, and uh, my wife, Rachel, and my daughter showed me a, a Christmas wind-up dog that they'd found, that that just played a played a stupid song, but its 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 lips moved as it played a song, a Christmas song, and it was so funny that I instantly got an idea, which we've now written into a film. So it's a, <laughs> and it's a, it's a comedy about. Artificial intelligence, uh, which <laughs> But, you know, the basis of it is that, you know, the the, the the software is great, but the hardware is terrible. I mean, if you look up these YouTube videos of robots, they are hilarious because they, they look drunk when they walk. Their minds are amazing, and they've got all sorts of algorithms, but actually the hardware is pretty embarrassing. So the premise is, you know, what happens if these robots have great minds and think, now's the time to strike? But actually... <laughs> they mostly fall over you know it's bullseye i'm jesse thorne
1: my guest is armando iannucci he created the hbo show veep at any point after this four years or of traveling four months out of the year to go work on the show and writing it all the time in the uk did you ever think like maybe when i get back i should chillax a little
0: Oh, and I did. I did. Yes. Uh, I mean, I wrote that idea down as soon as I got in the door. But yes, I then took about three months off, and uh, and you know, I find that always. Yes, you have to. You have to decompress after doing something very intense. You have to uh, act totally unwind.
1: Yeah. I want, I want to play a clip from the thick of it, which is a show that you created, one of my all time faves. And um, like, I mean, probably anybody who's ever seen it. Uh, there's a character named Malcolm Tucker. That's one of my Favorite characters yeah. on a television show, like top tier, like I'm talking about, hey now, Hank Kingsley level favorite okay. character on a TV show. And, he's my all-time
0: favorite character. Oh, there you go. He's, yeah. uh,
1: I'm going to be honest. He's number one for me too, but uh, yeah.
0: Malcolm's number two. And, uh, Do you say that to all the guests? This, Do you... yeah. <laughs> is, your, is your number two favorite all-time character... Yeah. Relevant to the guest you're speaking to. So, so when it's, Sharon comes on, yeah. you know, it'll be, I love, you know. Uh,
1: it's sort of like, have you heard of the game, of the pickup artist thing? So you neg a little bit at the top. <laughs> yeah. And then it's always you... Hank.
0: Hank is always.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, um, <laughs> um, so Malcolm is like, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a sort of combination of, Uh, publicist, spinmeister, and fixer uh, for the government. Yes. Um, And one of the most distinctive qualities that he has is an astonishing facility with profanity. Mm -hmm. And this will sound like a television show to those people who are here at King's Hall in London listening to this. To those at home in the United States listening Mm -hmm. on the radio, it will sound like basically ship-to-shore communication, like a okay. series, of, a series of... dots and dashes, yeah. okay. All Let's right. take
0: a listen. Now, get this into the organ, right? You breathe a word of this to anyone, you mincing... and I will tear your... skin off. I will wear it to your mother's birthday party and I will rub you up and down her leg whilst whistling bohemian... right? Yeah. No. Get out of my yeah. sight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so that's not going to be Veep, is it? Right. Yeah. So this th- that
1: level of profanity is yeah. a level of profanity that and level of creativity and profanity that you also brought to Veep. So you've now spent like more than ten years. Standing in front of a whiteboard, writing in synonyms for, you know.
0: Yeah, or or, or things to go around it. I suppose. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, Somebody, <laughs> there's a thing in the thick of it. I don't even. I can't remember the full phrase, but there's some, something called Tucker's Law, which again you'll have to use lots of dots and dashes uh, for the folks for the folks out there. Uh, is uh, you won't really know what it is I'm saying, but Tucker's Law is if some can. Then, sure as f- that f- gonna f- because that f- a f- <laughs> and <laughs> and somebody sent that into me all of that into me, embroidered on a cushion
1: that <laughs> like legitimately seems exhausting to me like i'm yeah. not, like yeah. I'm not being insincere when I yeah. say that like. That seems like it would be really fun for 18 months. And yeah, then that after quilt. that, you're yeah, just yeah, like, do. oh, I think I have to think
0: of a new form of buggery. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's great fun. We, we we usually, I mean, if anything, I have to kind of uh, de swear a lot of the script. <laughs> because, because that's a great noise. Could we sample that noise <laughs> and put it over Malcolm? Um, <laughs> because. You know, it's so easy when you're writing to just put another swear word in, but as you read it back, you realize, you know, the the trick is to try and not make it seem lazy. So actually, a lot of effort goes into the the phrasing around it rather than the actual word itself. How
1: do you find, I mean, how do you find the character underneath the pile of swear words? Like, how do you pair it back to the point where, I mean, these are
0: really character driven shows? Yeah, and, and, well, it comes down to the casting, really. The The way I, I like to cast is we get people in who are comfortable... Um, people talk about improvisation in the show, and it's not like the show is improvised, but who are comfortable taking the script and just loosening it up to make it sound natural, to make it dirty up in, in the non-pejorative way, just to make it sound messy. And that involves them not having to stick rigidly to every syllable as it's written unless it's something like what we've just heard, where it's very specific. And, you know, Peter Capaldi, who plays Malcolm, will go away and usually on set, he's in a glass room, pacing up and down, saying his, his speeches again and again and again, to almost, like, train his mouth into memorising the movement so that he doesn't have to think about it. But it is quite funny, because you hear this muffled swearing coming out of this... <laughs> glass box that he's in um but it's to it's to get a cast who have who are comfortable with that idea and also you you can't have egos you have to have people who are are generous with a performance and are happy to to riff a bit but to 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 have someone else come in with something spontaneous in response to something they've just said and, and not be thrown by it so a lot of the casting that we did for um think of it and and for veep was was just sitting people down and just throwing things at them and, and seeing how they coped with it
1: is it weird to write a show for somebody as uh important as julia louis dreyfus like culturally important somebody f- who brings into the show that much weight and specificity and yeah uh,
0: yes i mean it, it's it's kind of weird but you know, when, when we first met, and HBO, when we wrote the pilot, we wrote it for a female vice president, but we just wrote it abstractly. We wrote Selena Meyer. And, and HBO suggested that I, I meet up with Julia. And, you know, I was a huge fan of Seinfeld. Um, and she was very funny in Arrested Development. And um, we didn't know so much the new adventures of old Christine over here. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I thought she'd be perfect. And when we met up, I thought, you know, she would turn up with... A, uh, a cavalcade of PR and people and we'd have half an hour of very polite conversation. And it wasn't that. we. She, she arrived herself, we met, uh, had some tea and the conversation just flowed. We made each other laugh for about three and a half hours. And by the end of it, we just knew that this was going to work. It, it's, uh, and, and, you know, she just wants the show to be good and funny. That's all she's interested in. She just And on set, she just wants everyone to be in a funny mood. Because you can't make good comedy if everyone's tense and everyone's feeling a little bit tired and exhausted and worried. And so, what's fascinating to watch, and I've just had this experience actually with Jeffrey Tambourg, who's in my film, um, Death of Stalin, which we've just finished shooting. That what's fascinating to watch is, is seeing someone who has a, just a, an intense, huge background knowledge of doing comedy. So that when you do a scene, you know she's able to offer five different ways of doing it. You know we'll do one way and that's funny, and then she'll she'll say, "Oh, how about if she, if she did this?" And she'll do some kind of roll of her eyes or some movement or some little minor thing that you wouldn't—that's not in the script—that just lifts it. And it's the same watching Jeffrey, uh, as I said, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Hank in Larry Sanders. So uh, you know it, it's just that exquisite uh, ability to, to approach every idea with about five different variations of how it could be done, each one as funny as the other.
1: So, Armando, yeah. um, you just finished making this
0: movie yeah. um, called The Death of Stalin. Yes. This is a comedy film? It or? is a comedy film. It's based on fact. It's based, a lot of the events in it are true, but it is a comedy film. And again, it's a comedy ensemble. We've got Steve Buscemi plays Khrushchev. And Michael, P- Michael Palin is Molotov, the foreign secretary. And uh, Jeffrey Tambor is uh, Malenkov, who takes over from Stalin when Stalin dies. But is just way out of his depth.
1: Why, uh, um...
0: <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah.
1: Why would you
0: make a... Why, well... How many words do you need to finish okay, this thought? Why, okay, look, uh, right. Uh, several things I was thinking Hey, I wanted to make a, another movie I made one about six years ago Really enjoyed it And I wanted to make another film A uh, great thing about films <laughs> As opposed to doing 40 episodes or something Is you do it once And then you, you can move on <laughs> You don't have to revisit it Unless it's, uh, you know Unless it's Fast and Furious or something <laughs> um, uh, uh, Have you thought about making a Fast and Furious movie? <laughs> um, I've, I've certainly thought about it um, i won 't tell you what i 've been thinking, but uh, um, I was interested also in the idea of looking at dictatorship. You know How does somebody uh, come along from nowhere and and through sheer dint of his warped personality, completely change and transform a country? And uh, obviously, nothing like this happens now. But, um, you know. <laughs> how does someone instil a, a, a fear of terror across the country? And then what happens when that person dies? Does, does that atmosphere still exist? Do people still live under the shadow of that person? But it's interesting that sort of Stalin, between Stalin and Hitler, Stalin has, has kind of won. In yeah. the, <laughs> you, you can make jokes about Stalin, and, or, or you can affectionately call... You know, if you've got uh, you know uh, 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 f- someone who's a bit revolutionary, you, you, you can call him, a, ah, you old communist, in a way that you can't say, ah, you, you, you Nazi. You know? Is it? Do you think that. Ah, <laughs> oh, you, th- you silly, silly Nazi. <laughs> do you, you think know? that it was sort of like. What a ridiculous racist <laughs> you are. The
1: joke, the joke about the two guys running from the bear and they, one of them turns to the other and says, how are we going to outrun a bear? And the other guy says, I don't have to un- outrun a bear. I just have so to do- outrun you. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think that Stalin and Hitler ever had that conversation <laughs> with regard to their legacies?
0: <laughs> um, and, and, and underneath it all is, you know, he, he had the great terror, which is like they just on a nightly basis drew up a list of names. That, that then got of people who got just rounded up and, and taken away for interrogation and exile and, and you could be rounded up for someone could report you if you accidentally put a coffee mug down on a photograph of Stalin on the newspaper if somebody spotted you doing that they would pass your name on and you'd get rounded up into, so there's an element of that, as I say it's a comedy <laughs> and, and, uh, and as I say this, you know a massive narcissist taking over a country and <laughs> and uh, uh, arriving at absolute power is not something that, that would happen today. It might happen in a few weeks' time, but not today. Uh, Armando Iannucci, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so
1: much, Armando. Thank you. Uh, I literally... <laughs> We asked Armando in an email, do you have anything to promote? Uh, And he emailed back, not that I know of. Uh, So I guess just go on YouTube to watch the Armando Iannucci shows. Somebody put them on there, and they're real funny. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. After the break, a set from the award-winning comedian Josie Long. Plus, my interview with the creator of the new HBO show Divorce, Sharon Horgan, and music from Romare. It's Bullseye, recorded live in London, England. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for Bullseye and the following message comes from Blue Headphones. For 20 years, many of your favorite artists have used Blue microphones in the studio. Now, Blue's radical headphone design lets you hear new details in your favorite music. Find out why Esquire magazine called them the perfect headphones. Visit the store at blue headphones.com and use coupon code NPR for a special price blue carpe eardrum take bullseye and more with you with the npr1 app npr1 finds you the best from public radio and beyond election essentials local stories and your favorite podcasts npr1 is ready to make a trip waiting in line or waiting for a friend better find nprone on your app store
0: Ty is a
1: pedantic person.
0: I think when he pronounces these words, it's, it's in a very show-offy way. Gyro. Yiro. sacre blue. Sacre bleu. Ayers Rock. Uluru. <laughs> and... <laughs> what you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with real cases. They call in via Skype to Judge John Hodgman's court, the real people's court. Now I call you to Judge John Hodgman's Internet Court. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We recorded this episode of the show live in London. And our next guest is a London resident, an award-winning comedian, Josie Long. So I saw this movie that she made for BBC Three a few weeks ago. It's called Top Ten Opinions That May or May Not Have Gotten Josie Long Dumped. If you haven't seen it, uh, go treat yourself to four amazing minutes of film. You can find Josie's other films and her tour dates at JosieLong.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Josie Long.
2: Hello, hello. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be part of this show. Um, Hi. Also, I was thinking about the fact that we're in England, bad like us. (laughs) <laughs> and that this is an American show. And I was trying to think, like, what can I do that might cross over? And I know that it's a really politically uncertain time for us here and for you guys in the States. And I've been reading this book that I've got here. You can, the audience can attest that I'm not just miming. And it's, it's called Hope in the Dark. And it's by Rebecca Solnit. And it's giving me life. Like it's been so helpful. Um, and I've been recommending it to everyone, despite the fact that I'm only about halfway through. <laughs> Which is a gamble. I'm just so scared that I'll get to the final page and she'll say, and the true hope in the dark is white supremacy. And I'm like, no, no, you made me look a right plum. I thought I'd read you a bit of that later. But I was thinking as well, like... Because it's so difficult when there's stuff that is so politically divisive going on, you know? It's so hard to think... Like, after Brexit... Sorry to talk about Brexit. Do you guys remember Brexit? The the worst thing that ever happened to all of us. Do you remember? Do you remember it? When the dark heart of our country was exposed to be rotten, rotten, rotten to the core. Do you remember? Do you remember that? Um, Sorry to talk about Brexit. I started calling it Brexit. Brexit. It makes it sound more continental. (laughs) So sad. Um, But uh, after Brexit, I kept saying to my friends, We're all still here. And to begin with, I think I thought that I meant that in like a lefty way like, Oh, the lefties are still here. Um, And now I've started to realise it means, Oh, we're all still here. And we have to keep going. And it reminds me of this quote from To Kill a Mockingbird, um, which, uh, you know, it's it's such a brilliant book, such an important book. And in it, Atticus Finch is defending this man who he knows is put up on trial for trumped-up charges. And he knows that he's defending him against everyone that he knows from his town. And in it, he says to his daughter, uh, and the quote has just been, like, so resonant with me, and I thought I'd share it with you. What he says is, he says, I'm going to get that bloody bird (laughs) not one of you has read that book (laughs) not one of you has bothered reading that book seriously that book is on the GCSE syllabus not one of you could not one of you is like oh excuse me that's actually wrong it's obviously not the real why but it's not even relevant to what I said beforehand (laughs) stupid I just said a stupid thing This is the real quote. He says, Let's kill the mockingbird. (laughs) That's not it either. That's also not the. I can't believe that you wouldn't even pick up the second time. Like, that's the whole point. He says, Don't kill the mockingbird. That's what he says. Like, the quote is, the real quote, he says, We have to remember. To kill a mocking, but it's not. It's not. I'm so sorry. That's not the quote. I just couldn't help myself. What he says is, he says, "Why is that bird looking at me like that?" You better tell that bird it's a dead bird walking. You tell that bird to come down here and look at me like that because I'm gonna get it, stupid bird, stupid bloody bird. Get it out. Get it out. I'll get it. I'm so sorry because that's not it. And I feel like loads of you just aren't even on board with this. And. I'm, I've only got 10 minutes and I just really want to do this for the whole 10 minutes, but I know that it's not right and it's not good enough, but, ah, um, oh. I will do the 100% real quote, what he says. We have to remember when we are done fighting these people to kill that bloody bird. Get it! No, he doesn't, I'm so sorry. He says... He, what he says is... He says... Mm, that bird! No, he doesn't... He says, get that bird away from me. He doesn't. What he says, we have to remember when we are done fighting these people. Look at that, but no. I'm so sorry. What he says is, we have to remember when we are done fighting these people that they are still our friends. And also, (laughs) I can't remember the rest, but it's good. Um, also, hello, my name's Josie Long, I'm 34 years old. Um, thank you, prime of life, prime of life, prime of life. I love it, I feel good about it, but I also feel freaked out that some sexism things are like kicking in and I'm scared and the way that I'm counteracting that fear is I've adopted this persona and the persona is like, I'm like a fan mum with no kids, woo! <laughs> woo! <laughs> Get me a glass of Pinot Grigio, woo! I thought that was just a stereotype. And then the day I turned 34, I was like, I know what drink to order. Get me a Pinot Grige. Woo! She's on the Grige! That's what I like to say. Who's on the Grige? She's on the Grige! That's what I say. That's why I hope and wish that I was, I wish I was like a proper stadium comedian because then when I came on stage, everyone would know that was my catchphrase and everyone would be like, who's on the grease Who's on the grease And then I'd just pull from my thing at, glass of green, Woo!" All the 34-year-old women in the audience would start crying <laughs> out of gratitude. Um, yeah, I feel weird about being 34. I don't want to, but I do. And also because I was a really good 25-year-old. I'm not bragging, but so good, like full of enthusiasm and wonder, but also kind of sad in a mysterious hinted at that way. So good. And if you're that good at it, you should just be able to Dorian Gray it after that. Just like you won. You can stay. You can be 26 forever. 26 is an easier age to be in society as a woman. You know, like how old are you? I'm 26. Oh, cool. You're old enough that I'll trust you to look after my house when I go away for the week but I'm not going to spend 20 minutes talking to you about how we changed the kitchen work surfaces. <laughs> how old are you? Oh, I'm 26. Ah, oh, I'll offer you some of this MDMA and it won't be creepy. <laughs> how old are you? I'm 26. Oh, have you thought about when you're going to have kids yet? Oh, not really. Oh, cool. I'll leave it there. <laughs> I won't ruin the barbecue for you. (laughs) Let me get this straight. You're 34, you're single, you want kids, but you don't have kids. You're 34, you're single, you want kids, but you don't have kids. You are... Time is ticking away. Time is ticking away. You are on a fertility cliff. I don't know you. But I feel like I'm allowed to say this to you. You are on a fertility cliff. You are looking over a cliff and you will be lonely and you will die and you will not fulfil your biological function. I don't know you. But I feel like I'm allowed to come up and say this to you apropos of nothing while you're putting sweet corn into a bowl because you're a good friend. I don't know you. Listen to me. You're on a fertility cliff, mate. You're on a fertility cliff and you were just about to fall off it and you better listen to me because time is... Please. Please. I respond better to praise than criticism. Please. The way that I get better is by being nominated for awards. (laughs) I mean that, please, please, I don't have to win, please. That's true, if you want to learn how to drive this particular motor, always the carrot, never the stick. Never the stick. Who chooses the stick? give him the stick, whack him with the stick and give me the carrot and I will use it every day to make a salad for my lunch (laughs) because I'm in my mid-30s and I'm practising (laughs) self-care I I wish I was a lifestyle guru deep down and one of the premises of my lifestyle guruship is have a salad for your lunch oh, questions from the floor oh, um, I always wanted to eat more salad but I don't know when to do it Second premise if you are a woman like me who cannot be bothered putting on makeup the whole time because you've got to do and because very regularly, on a daily basis almost, you want to do this (laughs) put on a necklace. It's changed my life. Like, legitimately changed my life. I'll prove it to you. Look, look. Oh, look at that tired-looking... What? I was so excited about it on stage that once I ripped it off by mistake, there was a palpable gasp from the crowd. Like, the carriage was a pumpkin! And I'm like, no, please, sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm 34. Um, I'll read you a tiny bit of this. Um, Basically... I'm so thrilled about this book. It's all about how hope is in itself an active thing, not a passive thing, you know. And when times seem really dark, actually it's a chance, you know, it's cracks in the status quo and it's a chance for people to make positive things happen and wonderful things happen if you seize the day, you know. And what she says is um, in hope in the dark she says hope locates itself in the premises that we don't know what will happen and that in the Spaciousness of uncertainty is room to act It's the belief that what we do matters Even though how and when it may matter who and what it may impact are not things we can know beforehand And also let's get that bird Get it stupid bird. I'm gonna get it, hit it with a stick And then we'll see who's mocking me. Okay, not quite the ending I'd hoped. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the show.
1: Stand up comic Josie Long, recorded live in London. You can find top 10 opinions that may or may not have got Josie Long dumped, plus Josie's other films and tour dates at josielong.com. Welcome back to Bullseye. My next guest is another globally celebrated comedy writer-producer. In 2006, Sharon Horgan's show Pulling debuted on the BBC3 to much critical acclaim. When it was repeated on BBC2 a couple years later, it leapt from cult gem to mainstream hit. Last year, she debuted a new show called Catastrophe. She co-wrote it with the American stand-up comedian Rob Delaney. Amazon have already ordered a third and fourth season, but... Horgan's not just resting on her laurels. She's got a new show called Divorce, which stars Sarah Jessica Parker, debuting on HBO this week. So, here we go. Our conversation, live on stage in London, with Sharon Horgan. Don't... Don't mock me shaking your hand. (laughs) We we literally can't play that on the radio Um, There's a lot of tone in common between uh, divorce and catastrophe But I think that, at least having only seen the first episode of Divorce That it's interesting that in Catastrophe you are essentially problematizing this beautiful thing. Like you were talking about the most painful parts of love and having children, right? Which are the best things, or among the best things. <laughs> For the radio audience, we got a, we got a eh, hand gesture.
3: No, of course, yeah.
1: Um, which, of course, come with these awful, awful you know, sidecars. Mm. But uh, in divorce, you're starting with one of the worst things so how do you i mean how do you approach that when you know that you can't just you know on catastrophe end of the day like you can show a brutal fight and you know that to some extent you will be able to get the audience back by showing some love Uh you know what i mean yeah what happens when you don't have hand holding to cut to you know what i mean
3: yeah Gosh, it 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 is trickier, and.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to daunt you here.
3: <laughs> no, now I'm really worried about the show. Um, I think um, I think you're right, and also that becomes a little bit addictive as well. Because I think when I m- made pulling, I I didn't really care about that. You know, I didn't really care about making people feel happy at the end. I mean, we kind of went out of our way to upset people and then <laughs> and then when with catastrophe because rob is such a lovely charming handsome uh, man we were talking <laughs> backstage about how handsome he is
1: that's why he, she's gesturing yeah. me like
3: handsome He yeah. <laughs> he's extra handsome today as well handsome. he just had an extra handsome face on and uh <laughs> but he he has that sort of warm side to his personality and so you kind of get a little bit addicted to, to sort of making people feel good or sort of rosying it up. But he has
1: that like weird Dick Van Dyke quality where well. you want him to like <laughs> smile and like pat you on the back. You know what I yeah.
3: mean? Uh, no. Okay. Um, but so... Maybe it's
1: just us straight dudes.
3: <laughs> I think with divorce, I mean, obviously it's the beginning of the end of of a, of a relationship. But I think also it's, the beginning of her trying to find a way out of an incredibly unhappy situation, and for him as well. So I think there is some there's some respite in there, and um, hopefully it's not too bleak. I mean, it, it's pre- it's pretty bleak. I don't think anyone's going to watch the show and go, "I should get one of those." <laughs> I should do that. You know, we, we we definitely put them through the ringer, but um, yeah, it was hard work. I mean, it's I think it's 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 sort of Easier to write in a way because it's more my sort of natural disposition, but I think it's it's harder to you know keep the balance there with that subject matter.
1: Um, do you have <laughs> do you have too many jobs?
3: <laughs> well, it feels like I've got too many jobs. <laughs> Mainly, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's good. It's lovely having things come out. It's nice to. It's nice to make TV. It's, I mean, I spent so many years, I mean, many, many years in development not making TV and, and just writing and writing in a vacuum and never knowing whether anything was ever going to make it to the air. And um, um, I was sitting writing with Rob Delaney the other day and we, were, we just started laughing because we thought anything we write, we know it's going on the telly. It's such a weird, <laughs> it's such a weird feeling.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. After a break, I'll continue my conversation with actress and writer Sharon Horgan. Plus, we'll hear music from Ninja Tunes recording artist Romare. It's Bullseye, recorded live at the 2016 London Podcast Festival from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Thanks to one of our sponsors who bring you this message, HelloFresh, the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. HelloFresh sources the freshest ingredients, measured the exact quantities needed, along with step-by-step recipes for delicious meals designed to take 30 minutes to make, all approved by a registered dietitian. Everything is delivered in a special insulated box with free shipping. Bullseye listeners can receive $35 off their first week of deliveries. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code BULLSEYE on your first purchase. For an in-depth look at the Trump Foundation's finances, listen to Fresh Air's recent interview with reporter David Farenthold. He used Twitter to launch a nationwide scavenger hunt to find Trump Foundation assets. Also, don't miss Terry Gross's conversation with Bruce Springsteen in his home studio in New Jersey. They talked about Springsteen's childhood, his combative relationship with his father, and how he formed his stage persona. Find these and other interviews on the Fresh Air podcast on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcasts.
0: Mugs, shirts, stickers, patches, tanks, and more are yours for the purchasing at maxfunstore.com. Hey, you already
2: love the podcasts, so why not take this to the next level and outfit your home and bod with our merch? Maxfunstore.com. because if you have to wear a shirt, it should be one of ours.
1: Welcome back to Bullseye, recorded live in London, England. Let's continue my conversation with the creator of the new HBO show, Divorce, the actress and writer, Sharon Horgan. I have one last question, and it's about the fact that, especially um, Catastrophe, which I've seen a lot of, or all of that's out so far, is so confessional and feels so honest and real. I wonder if, if and when you make a show about Divorce, whether that is, like, terrifying to everyone who you have a relationship (laughs) with in your life.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it really is, apparently. (laughs) Sharon
1: Horgan, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Sharon. You're the best. Sharon Horgan. She created the new HBO show Divorce. It stars Sarah Jessica Parker. It's running now. On HBO. Whenever we take Bullseye out on the road, we like to book a local musical act in the city we're visiting. Obviously, there were a lot of choices in London. The guy we chose performed from a pedestal standing among a huge array of pieces of equipment, piecing together his music live in front of us. His name's Romare. He's got a new album coming out on Ninja Tunes in November. It's called Love Songs Part 2. So, let's go to the stage of Bullseye live in London and Romare. Romare. His album, out on Ninja Tunes, November 11th. It's called Love Songs Part 2. Every week on Bullseye, we like to close with a recommendation from me, your host. It's the outshot. What if there was a modest rapper? A rapper whose whole M.O. was like, you know, you're doing fine. Be glad you're here. That's Devin the dude.
2: You ain't the only one who got problems.
0: You ain't the only one who knows pain. Get up off your ass and just solve
1: it. You still got a chance to try to change. Hip hop's usually aspirational, or at least self promotional. It's been 40 years of rappers rapping about how rich they are, how much sex they have, how powerful they are, how good at rapping they are. And all that stuff is great. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But Devin's kind of the opposite of that. He's sly, he's relaxed, and he's high as hell. And he wants you to know he's doing okay. I mean, like, some troubles, but he's getting past them. And he sincerely wishes you nothing but the best. Like, this is a guy who recorded an entire record about his tired old car and how he's pretty chill about how tired and old his car is. In fact, it was the single from his album. Some shots on the back I need some work on my brakes My passenger side window Sometimes it just don't want to raise I hear bumps and crux Pings and ticks and dings I got a hole in my muffler And other minor things Like my electrical review mirror Don't move like a toaster Even the objects in the Motherfucker need to
2: be closer I I'm satisfied with
1: my Most rappers are superheroes. It usually comes with the job. Like, think about it. Snoop Dogg is a character from a black exploitation movie. Rick Ross, it's like a guy out of an episode of Miami Vice. Nas has all this lyrical wisdom to answer life's great questions. Devin the Dude, he's just like, it's cool, like hanging out. There's a lyric of Devin's actually that, that I love. It goes, "I smoke weed, I drink brew. That's all I rap about." That's all I do. And it's not quite true. He also raps about sex. But even then, even when he's rapping about sex, he's never the conquering hero. He's just, you know, he's just a guy out there trying to get a girl. I'll just wait. Cause
0: inside is much new stuffy. Yeah. Find some
1: the club. Don't we'll close to three. And if you're looking for me, I'll be. just a guy hanging out in the parking lot of the club trying to meet somebody. Even when he's dirty or vulgar, Devin raps with such a generosity of spirit that it's impossible not to be charmed. It's like a warmth, like, like James Taylor, only totally blazed. I mean, not that James Taylor isn't totally blazed. But Devin just wants to make it through his troubles, maybe get high. You know what? He wants the same for you. This song is a favorite of mine. It's about how grateful he is that he's a rapper. There is a shout out in it to engineers who smoke weed. This is for all the engineers who smoke weed. Can't forget about the production costs and all the hidden fees for another rhyme written. We spend time spitting in the pool. Sometimes it's like a pigeon coop, but it's all for the cause. Yeah, so I'm gonna continue to MC and smoke weed. I don't know. I guess the older I get, The less angry music moves me. I'm not an angry man. Honestly, I never was. My personal struggle isn't about beating down a path through the other people that are standing in my way. It's more internal. It's about finding comfort in myself, settling into my own choices. And when I get lost, I, I find myself coming back to Devon. I mean, I don't drink. I don't smoke weed. I'm an NPR host. But there's something in Devon the dude that I think we can all learn from. Are you at a fork in the road? Can't decide which route to take? It's like the man sings. Do what the to do. That's my outshot.) That's the end of our very first Bullseye, recorded live in London. Thanks to all the guests who helped make the show such a success Armando Iannucci, Josie Long, Sharon Horgan, and Romare. And a special thanks goes out to everyone at the London Podcast Festival, especially Sally Hollingworth and Zoe Jayas. Our show is produced by Speaking into Microphone. Our producer is Dan Gallucci. Production fellow at Maximum Fund is Kara Hart. Our production assistant is Christian Duena. Senior producer is Colin Anderson. All our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally, thanks to the Go team and their label Memphis Industries for our theme music. Sorry we missed you guys in London. Uh, Tried to make that happen. Couldn't quite make it happen. Uh, If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, they're all free. Just go to MaximumFun.org. And I bet this isn't enough for you. I bet you want to hear about more cool culture stuff. Well, check out our sister show, Pop Rocket. It's a roundtable discussion of everything great in popular culture, hosted by comedian Guy Branum. Hey, Guy. What's popping on Pop Rocket this week? Hey, Jesse. This week we talked about the new sitcom from Donald Glover, Atlanta, on FX. Uh, We talked about um, just how exciting it is to see a TV show be shot somewhere other than the Valley Uh, and the importance of having an all-black writing staff for a show that's trying to talk about real black lives. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.